Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I am Rabbi Noah Bickhart, and today we're studying Masachet Eruvin, Mem Aleph, Aleph Tibet. We'll end this week uh, with a string of, uh, of Agadah. It's always nice to end on Agadah. Um, here uh, at the beginning of the Gemara on 41b. Tanu Rabbanan. We have a Baraita, a Tanaitic section, Tanaitic piece of material, which for whatever reason didn't make it into the Mishnah, um, which will be expounded here. Shloshadvarim ma'avirin eta adam alda'ato va'aldat kono. There are three things in the world that deprive a person of his senses and knowledge of his, uh, of his creator, of his, uh, Kono is interesting. Literally the one who purchases him, his owner. Uh, it's interesting to think of God as the owner of human beings. Um, but it's certainly used in that respect. Okay. Three things. The Elohen, these are those things. Number one, of Kochavim, one, idolaters. It's probably the case that this word or these words, this phrase of Kochavim, um, is uh, here as a result of the of the censor, um, and that originally just said goyim, which of course in the time of the Gemara um, was likely the same thing, but certainly later, uh, later at later periods, certainly at the point when the Talmud was printed, since there were Christians who were in charge of the lands in which the Talmud was printed. Um, the censor, who was frequently a, uh, a Jew himself, who who had converted to Christianity, um, the uh, the those who wanted to print the Talmud were aware that this might not look so good, so they changed it to of the Kochavim, those who worship the stars, that is idolaters, and not just uh, Gentiles who may or may not be idolaters. That's number one. The ruach ra'ah, uh, uh, an evil spirit. Uh, perhaps this means mental illness. It's hard to say, and the dikduke aniyut, and oppressive, oppressive poverty. Um, it's an interesting concept here that that perhaps someone is so poor that they're unable to uh, uh, unable to think straight, uh, unable to act in a way that we would think is pos- is positive, and, and unable to connect to God. That seems to be a pretty compelling reason to try to limit poverty. And uh, perhaps even more so is a pretty compelling reason to have compassion uh, on people who are poor and certainly not to blame them for their own poverty. The Talmud then butts in in the middle of this variety and asks, Lamai nafkamina? Okay, why are you telling me this? What's the practical purpose? What law do I learn from this? Lamebae rachame alaihu. It matters in respect of praying for mercy about them. Why is it that we have to know this? 
Um, the answer is that we pray that we not be afflicted by these terrible things, presumably not just us, but that anybody be afflicted by these terrible things. This is fascinating. I, I think that the, the Baraita itself is simply giving folk wisdom uh, about things which, which make people crazy. Um, the, the anonymous voice of the Talmud doesn't have a space for folk wisdom. It needs to have a legal category to put these into. Um, and it seems to be that, that the legal category it inserts these things into is that we have to pray for them. It becomes an obligation to pray for poor people, um, or to pray that people not become poor. And, uh, and I find that fascinating. There's no, there's no folk wisdom. There's no simple truths that can just be, uh, can be expressed. Uh, the Baraita continues, Shlosha enro in pene gehinom. There are three kinds of people who don't see the face of hell. And interestingly, we have here one of the exact same categories as above. Eluhen diktukei aniut. Those who suffer from oppressive poverty. That's probably why these two things were initially connected together. And one who has, uh, for lack of a better term, irritable bowel syndrome, who has some sort of uh, intestinal disease that requires them to go to the bathroom all the time. Uh, famously, at the end of his days, uh, Rabbi Huda Hanasi seems to have been afflicted by this. Um, and the hardest part for him was that he had to keep taking his tefillin off every time that he wanted to go to the bathroom, which was all the time. And in fact, later generations, we know of a Gemara in Masachet, uh, in Masachet Chulin, um, uh, where uh, we actually see that people who have uh, IBS are in fact patur, they're, they're not liable for putting on tefillin. The, the notion is that they have to go to the bathroom so often that, uh, that to take off their tefillin would be, would be really hard. Vaharashut. And number three, someone who is, uh, is affiliated with, who is part of, the reshut, the authority. Clearly, originally this means somehow connected to the Roman government. We don't have the Roman government as the complete uh, worldwide empire anymore. I suppose in some ways we do. Most of us speak languages that are heavily influenced by, by Latin. Uh, and just as the rabbis, we are very influenced by notions of Roman law, etc. But there's no more Roman empire. How do we deal with that? I'm not sure. Vyeshomrim, there are those who say... Somebody who has a evil wife. Now, here we have to confront, first and foremost, that the Talmud seems to be a text written by men, for men, and about men. Um, and here's one of these uh, texts of terror, as it would be called, um, that uh, here we have the notion that a woman is somehow an affliction to a man, or at least potentially an affliction to a man. Uh, what can I say? The Talmud says a lot of things that, uh, that we find offensive in as much as it says things that we find wonderful and timeless. The Idach, apparently not everybody includes this notion of Mishi Yeshlo Isha Preferring to think that, uh, that being punished, a man who is punished by an evil wife is, uh, is not sufficient punishment to get him, uh, out of having to see the face of hell. It's, it's not suffering in life such that he doesn't have to suffer after his life. And what about the other position? The first opinion who does not, uh, who does not include such a, s s such a case? Ishara mitzvah lagarasha. 
What are you talking about? It's a mitzvah to get out of a bad marriage. Uh, maybe that's not an exact translation, but I think that's uh, here we have to be confronted with a one thing that I think is a wonderful timeless truth in Judaism that not all relationships wor- work out and that actually we should think of divorce as a mitzvah. Uh, sometimes it's absolutely necessary if two people are really in a situation where they are, in the context of this baraita, I think it's fair to say making each other's lives hell. It is a mitzvah. One actually has a responsibility to end the marriage. Uh, and that should be, uh, and I think that's an important religious value that we hold. What about the other position who insists that such a, such a case actually does constitute enough punishment in this time? V'idach? Sometimes the tuba is so big that the man is simply unable to pay out the tuba. Here, maybe it's the Gemara having a sense of humor. Uh, again, I think that in the time of the Talmud, this shows how much the Ketubah was meant and seemingly uh, worked this way as a protection for women. Um, in a world where women could be could be thrown out with great ease, the ketubah is a great protector. It defends women in general and prevents men from doing terrible things to women. Because if if in order to to throw your wife out of the house, you have to pay off this ketubah, that's going to prevent a lot of uh, silly arguments from from turning into full blown uh, divorces, and that's a good thing. The Gemara continues. Iname, another interpretation, itle banimina, they have children together. And he therefore he doesn't want to divorce her. Uh, this is also a strange, strange notion, but I guess the Talmud is perfectly aware that sometimes there some people feel that there are good reasons to stay in otherwise unhappy marriages. Uh, I'm not sure that it's defending the practice. It's certainly a problematic choice to make, but I suspect that everyone knows at least somebody who has made a choice like that for the good of the children uh, or something like that. Uh, whether or not we think that's the ultimately the right idea or not, uh, at least we're familiar with that kind of way of making decisions. In any event, the Talmud asks, really interrupts once again, and asks precisely the same question. What does it mean? that there are these three certain situations which are so terrible that uh, <laughs> that mean that you're, you're punished so much for them in this world that you don't need to serve time for it in Olam Haba after you die? The answer is, to these are those things which one should receive with love. That is to say, uh, at least you're... Uh, at least your sins are being expiated through these, and you know it in the moment. The list of threes continue. Here it seems to be the Cholemi Ayan, which provides the connecting link, uh, the irritable bowel syndrome link. Shlosha metin kishahen misaprin. There are three kinds of people who die even while they are still talking. Uh, I think the general assumption is that most people die after illnesses which render them incoherent first. Um, and here are three cases in which this is is not the case. People who can actually die while being fully conscious and speaking. Ve'eluhen, these are the three. Chole me'ayin, the one who suffers from, from horrible bowel syndrome. Ve'chaya, a woman in labor. 
v'hadrokan, and someone afflicted with what we now call dropsy. The Gemara asks precisely the same question. Why do we? What's the practical difference? Why do we need to know that it's these three things and not others? Answer rather morbidly. Um, because it's relevant for the notion of making burial shrouds. Normally, someone is awake and talking. We assume the death is not nearby. These people. You could uh, you could assume the worst, or at least potentially wouldn't be wouldn't be unreasonable to assume the worst, uh, even if they are still talking. So what do we do with this group of three groups of three uh, here in, in at the end of our week of Dafyomi together? Well, one one thing of course is we can look at the structure. The Talmud is is not put together haphazardly. Uh, its style is a highly edited one. Uh, someone decided how to put this thing together. Uh, and the number three is very important, and we see it very nicely from this section. You have, uh, the, uh, there are three units within this one baraita, and within each one of that units is a group of three. Uh, and each time, then, the editor of the Talmud, the Stamaitic layer, inserts to ask the exact same question. That question is, why do we need to know this? And a, a halachic answer, some sort of reasonable answer is supplied. But I suppose the fact that that question has to be asked um, belies the fact that the Talmud is replete with all kinds of interesting folkloric information, uh, which really isn't indeed halachic in nature. It really doesn't have anything to do with the legal system or with the laws of the mitzvot. Uh, with the calendar of Jewish law, with with Shabbat, with uh, with the topic of our Masechet, with a Ruvin of figuring out how how we uh, manage to live uh, somewhat normal lives despite it being Shabbat. How do we celebrate Shabbat in such a way um, that we bring joy and not just fear of uh, uh, of transgressing the prohibition? No, there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, of fascinating information that gives us insight. Uh, perhaps not into how we should necessarily live our lives, but how our ancestors lived and thought, um, and as a wonderful way to connect ourselves, who largely follow the same kinds of rules and think about the world in similar kinds of ways, we also get to see their we get to see their culture shining through in this document. And that, uh, even if it sometimes makes us uncomfortable, and even if it sometimes challenges us, or we find some of the ideas repugnant, um, still is quite interesting and is able to connect us with the past. It's been wonderful learning uh, these dapim with you, uh, and I wish everyone good luck in uh, continuing this sometimes difficult masachet. Uh, I I hope everyone gets a a wonderful amount out of it, and we should all merit to uh, complete Shas not only this time, but many times over the course of our lives. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.